welcome to the second in our series of bite-sized podcasts aimed at busy HR professionals and employers. I'm Sarah Taylor and I'm joined today by Rebecca Berry. The COVID-19 pandemic has dramatically changed the way in which many of us work, especially those who are previously office-based. But have compensation strategies kept abreast of the changing landscape? And are employers making the most of the new opportunities presented? Over the next 10 minutes, Rebecca and I are going to look at why you should take action now to review your compensation strategy. We will discuss the risks and pitfalls to avoid and the opportunities to embrace. Rebecca, welcome. Tell me, why is it so important at the moment for businesses to get their compensation strategy right? Well, those who listen to the January version of this podcast will be well aware of the wharf talent that's on at the moment and that employers are wanting to ensure that competitive and attractive compensation packages are on offer for those that they're trying to recruit and retain. Over the past two years, we've seen that hybrid and remote working works for a number of employers and without a doubt, employees are now expecting some form of that within their packages Um, and those employers who have been less flexible have seen an impact in terms of their workforce in our experience so um, the key for our from our perspective is to ensure that compensation strategies are now aligned with the new way of working in the post-pandemic world and that they're competitive consistent and fair and It's now the time, hopefully, as we come out of COVID, to take stock, strategize and prepare for the future, both this year and in the longer term. So it's true that a lot's changed and businesses need to review compensation strategies accordingly. So I think, Sarah, a key question is whether or not compensation will continue to be based on a worker's location. Yes, Rebecca. This is the crux of any compensation strategy for a remote or hybrid workforce. Until now, it has been common for pay to be linked to an office location, either via a direct premium, such as London waiting, or simply an understanding that those paid, those working at a certain office are paid a higher salary than others. However, with the advent of large-scale remote and hybrid working, many businesses are asking, is it feasible to continue paying a higher salary for certain locations, especially if many workers previously assigned to that location have now moved some distance away and possibly to a lower cost area and now only attend the office infrequently. That said, reducing the pay of remote and hybrid workers may prove unpopular, especially um, if these workers are essentially performing the same role and possibly are working more productively when they work remotely. Businesses really need to consider the messaging around um, remote work and um, associated um, compensation strategy and really think about what message they're giving about the value that the business assigns to work performed remotely. Rebecca, how are businesses addressing the issue of how to set pay for staff living in different locations? Well, we're seeing three general approaches. The first is to pay rates according to office location, which is the more traditional method. The second is to set pay based on the employee's home or remote work location. And some high profile Silicon Valley employers such as Facebook, Google, et cetera, have said that if you you live in a lower cost area 
your salary will be less than those living in a higher cost area. And then the third example is setting employee pay to a national level and adjusting it upward if necessary. So this is the location agnostic pay model. And some employers that adopt this, such as Reddit and Zillow, have reported that this is giving them an advantage in the job market and is increasing diversity. So, Sarah, what factors are relevant to a business when deciding on a certain approach to setting pay? So I think there are four critical factors. Um, the first is it's vitally important to understand what your staff want. So for some, um, they may accept a pay cut for the benefit of working from home or working remotely, especially if they factor in the reduced um, cost of commuting and the other costs associated with office attendance, such as dry cleaning bills and lunches out. So in fact, a pay cut for remote working may not bite their overall income as much as they may have feared. However, for others, it may be totally unacceptable to be paid less for performing essentially the same role and possibly even performing that role more efficiently and more productively. Really, it all boils down to the value that your workforce assigns to the benefits of working remotely. Secondly, um, as Rebecca has mentioned, we're, we're living in a war for talent at the moment, so it's, it's vitally important that you remain competitive um, in, in this um, current environment. So keeping abreast of what other employers in your sector are offering um, and keeping up with that. Um, you should also consider the importance of proximity to the office for your business. So if many roles can be performed remotely with only very occasional office attendance, um, then, then that's an entirely different situation to a business that requires regular office attendance and possibly also office attendance at short notice. In this latter scenario, um, it removes in many cases the choice of an employee to move some distance from the office, um, possibly to a lower cost area. So if the employee is still required to live within a reasonable commute distance of an office located in a high cost area, there may be some expectation that their, their salary will be adjusted accordingly. And lastly, um, an interesting question is whether location carries greater significance than mere geography. So for example, certain locations are associated with a particular working culture that, that demands a higher pay. London being the classic example, often associated with um, a longer hours and higher pressure working culture with staff who are employed within that culture expected to be compensated accordingly. There will, of course, be legal implications of moving to a different compensation model. And Rebecca, perhaps you could outline some of the risks that businesses should be aware of. Absolutely. Well, I think going back to the Facebook model where employees are paid lower if they work, if they live in a low cost living area, um, it could give rise to a two tier workforce. And so therefore that brings with it any differences between people means the risk of discrimination, indirect discrimination. Um, so where a particular protected group is um, subjected to a disadvantage as a result of a practice criterion, a provision criterion or practice. Um, similarly, we might see a disparity based on gender 
inadvertently, um, particularly if women tend to be the ones that work from home in the longer term more than men. Um, and so therefore, I think it's going to be key to ensure that DNI issues are addressed head on um, to ensure that any trends that have been exacerbated by the pandemic, for example, uh, evidence has suggested that women bore the brunt of homeschooling are not continued in the longer term. Talking about geographic limits on, on where workers live, so where it, there's a hybrid model and employees are expected to attend the office part of the week and work from home part of the week, if an employer, if an employer adopts a location agnostic approach, and the employees chosen to live in a lower cost area, that might mean they've got a longer commute than when they do attend the office, which could have an impact on well-being and also have health and safety implications. It's also possible that if you adopt a pay based on location approach, you, it could be open to abuse. The example that I always think of is akin to having a situation where there's a, a great school in a catchment area and people get a, a, a a flat in that area to to get access to the school similar we could see a similar scenario in a situation where people get a, a, a small flat in a high cost living area in order to get um, a greater salary and where any changes are anticipated to contractual terms in and benefits, then it's it's important that the normal considerations apply. Um, for example, ensuring that if um, it's involving 20 or more people that you consider collective consultation obligations, ensuring that there's appropriate body of employee representatives with whom to consult, and also ensuring that employees have that opportunity to um, consider the terms that are being proposed and reflect on them before providing their agreement. Equally, if you're proposing new restrictive covenants, then consideration needs to be offered in return for those. So ensuring that there's either a special pay rise or promotional or something that they're getting in return for those restrictions in order to ensure that they're enforceable. But you know, the key is that it's possible and necessary in my view to consider compensation in a much more imaginative way. Thanks Rebecca and I expect whatever strategy is adopted also needs to retain some flexibility in order to remain competitive. So I'm thinking of the example of being able to pay above market rate for, for an in-demand skill set for example. So my guess is that going forward, we are going to see far less of a connection between salaries and location, with greater emphasis on skill set, performance and the value generated by individuals. Businesses need to assimilate how people in their organisation live and work in this new landscape and tailor a holistic compensation package around this, ensuring that what they offer remains competitive. And critical to the success of an, any new compensation strategy will be securing the buy-in of your workforce, which will largely depend on open and transparent communication. And that's all we've got time for today. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. <laughs>